This morning when I walked in, a number of people made some comments, and um, like I was going to a funeral. So I decided, well, I'm, I did have a funeral a week or so ago, but so I said, well, these are my funeral clothes. And Jim said, no, 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 not now. So uh, if anybody would like a picture, I'll give autographs at the end of the service. So if you're, if you're interested, just no, please no. This morning, we're going to look at the art of giving thanks. And thank you, Annabelle, for leading us songs of, in songs of thanksgiving. And as Thursday is Thanksgiving, uh, it's already on our minds. Probably most of us do not think of ourselves as artists. But I would suggest this morning that we all are artists to varying degrees. It's interesting, the definition for art, one definition is the expression or application of human creative skill and imagination. All you have to do is look at children when they play. Uh, it's interesting how a little girl, she'll find something and she'll pick it up and she, all of a sudden it becomes a baby. How, how do they know that? It's just part of their DNA. Or a little boy, I find it interesting as I watch my grandsons, you know, they find a stick. And all of a sudden it becomes a knife, a, a hammer, a club, a tom, something to do some damage with. Look at the difference. But it's the imagination that is working. It's artistic. Michelangelo once said that the sculpture is already complete within the marble block before I start my work. It is already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous material. So take away everything that's not part of that sculpture. The sculpture is right there. It's so easy, right? But if we take that quote and we apply that to thankfulness, the reason for being thankful is already there. There's many reasons that we have to be thankful. We just need to shed all the superfluous material, the stuff, the garbage, all of that, that keeps it from being expressed. Artistic expression shows itself in many different forms. We know there's sculptures, obviously. There's painting, there's drawing, there's drama. People write stories. And as with art, there are many ways of expressing thanks. In Scripture, and we'll get into some of these, it talks about shouting. It talks about singing, obeying, giving of gifts. A lot of different ways in Scripture to give thanks. But in everyday life, there's also, we have ways of giving thanks. Obviously, the, the most important way is simply to say thank you. Another way is just to give gift cards to China Buffet. That's always a really good way to say thank you. Um, but as with art, thankfulness, it begins in our hearts. The seat of our emotions. It's interesting, Annabelle said that, that quoted Jared, that you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to feel like singing. We just sing the truths. What's interesting is as we sing those, it changes us. That's the way being thankful. Our circumstances dictate a lot of life. But the more we are thankful, the way things, it affects us. 
So this morning I'll ask you a question. Are you thankful? Okay, for what? Everything. Okay, that pretty well takes care of it, so we can just move right. What I find interesting is we say we're thankful, but then sometimes we just have a hard time saying what we're thankful for. We, you know, we don't want to think of just kind of the everyday things, um, but those are important, aren't they? We, we have so much in life, and out of our abundance, sometimes it's hard to articulate what we're thankful for. Everybody take a deep breath. Are you thankful for the ability to breathe? We all are, but we don't really think about it until we find it hard to breathe. Then all of a sudden it becomes much more important. But I think it's good for us to express thanks for the little things. Um, for Dylan and I, yesterday it was the long lines in Hobby Lobby. Um, am I thankful for that? Uh, I guess. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, the small things in life. And as I was sitting on the couch reading my Bible this morning, I just, it's like, I asked myself this question. What am I thankful for? Am I thankful for Walmart? I am. Because I can go there and get things that we need, right? We have all these things to be thankful for. And I think it's good at times just to say those. So we know that Thursday is Thanksgiving. And we'll celebrate out of our abundance, which is understandable. We can't help that. And it's, But it wasn't always that way. We know the original... The story we tend to think of Thanksgiving with the pilgrims, and we'll get into them in a little bit. But I want us to think about the first, the very first Thanksgiving. And we find that in Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 26. If you'd like to turn there. In Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy is a Greek word that means second law. It's not that God gave another law besides the first one. No, it was just he, it was re-explained by Moses to the people. It was he, he repeats it and he amplifies the basic laws that have been given to the people at Mount Sinai 40 years prior when they had just come out of Egypt. And Moses is speaking to the people as they're just about to cross into the promised land. And remember that those who were 20 years old and older when they left Egypt they're now all dead. They have all died. And so the people that are ready to go into the promised land, by and large, they have spent their entire life wandering around in the wilderness. And so Moses finds it extremely important that they understand the law. So he takes the book of Deuteronomy and he explains it again to them. So Moses in chapter 26 is instituting the first Thanksgiving. Starting in verse 1. When you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of that, of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Isn't it interesting that one of the things, the pictures, we had it up here this morning. What was there? was a basket full of produce comes from here so put them in the basket then go to the 
to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling place for his name and say to the priest in office at the time. This is what they were to say. I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. The priest will take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, saying this, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. And then they're to place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. And you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. That is the first thanksgiving. Thanks was to be expressed by giving of the tithe of the tithe of the produce that the land produced. And notice that they were also to rejoice. I take that meaning there's supposed to be some noise with this. I know we're not typically, well, we're noisy people, but in church we tend to be kind of quiet. They were to be loud. They were to express this with joy. So there's, there's some noise that was generated. So the pilgrims did not invent thanksgiving. They simply took what God had instituted and they put it into practice in their time, in their new life in the new world. And we know the general story. They left Egypt largely because, Egypt, uh, Europe largely because of persecution to establish a new life in the new world. What's interesting is some people today view Thanksgiving as a day of imperialistic oppression and occupation. And I would suggest that thanklessness always breeds contempt. So when you are unthankful, contempt will soon follow. Those first pilgrims found life in the New World extremely difficult, as we know. That first winter, nearly half of them died. But it was that first growing season with the help of the local Indians who taught them about corn and helped them to plant corn that they were able to raise enough food, to gather enough food. They could do some hunting. They, they gathered some fish. They had no fishing equipment. So any, any fish that they got from the sea, they had to catch with their hands or some, some other means. To us, that seems kind of foreign. We have all kinds of equipment that we can gather food, we can plant food. They didn't have that. So it was as at the close of that, of that growing season, they chose to celebrate even though life was still very hard and the future was extremely uncertain. But they were thankful. We'll come back to them in a minute. In Deuteronomy chapter 26, Moses gave us 
gives us the how. How are you to remember? Put your produce in a basket, go to the priest, and so on. But back in chapter 8, he really gives us, gives them and us the why. Why do we do this? Why do we celebrate? Why do we practice thanksgiving? And it's interesting, he says this, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Then in verse 2 he says, Remember, remember how the Lord led you and provided for your needs all those years of wondering. And then in verse 10, When you have eaten and are satisfied... Praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So Moses is warning them, be careful when you go into this promised land and things are really going well for you that you don't forget the Lord your God. Because if you do, You may say to yourself, verse 17, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Unthankfulness leads to pride, which leads to forgetting God, which leads to the worship of other gods or self, which leads to destruction. If you jump down to verses 19 and 20 of chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. And then verse 20. And I find verse 20, it's a short verse, but it says so much in this verse about our world and about history. We get a glimpse in this verse how God works in this world. So Moses said, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations the Lord destroyed before you. So you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. God did not destroy innocent people to make room for the Israelites in the promised land. They are not occupiers, okay? They, those nations were guilty before God. And I suspect they knew it. At some time in their history, they abandoned the worship of God because they were all descendants of Noah. All of us were. So somewhere in their history, that was just shoved aside and they worshipped other things. And as a result, they were destroyed. There are no innocent people. Being thankful to God of creation 
is not just an Israelite thing. It's not just a Christian thing. It is to be universal. It is part of our human DNA. If you turn to Psalm 100, we had that verse on our screen this morning as we entered. In Psalm 100, it is a universal psalm of giving thanks. In verse 1, I think it makes that clear. And it shows, this psalm shows us the art of giving thanks, the varied ways that we do that, but we can do that. Verse 1, make a joyful noise, shout to the Lord, all the earth. Now, when's time, when is the last time that you or I shouted to the Lord? Wow. Why don't we? Here it says, shout to the Lord. I'm not sure how we can apply that, but there's something that is going on here. Make a joyful noise. We can sing. That's a joyful noise. Who is to do that? He says, all the earth. It's interesting. Isaiah 55, 12 says that even the creation, even the, the, the earth itself rejoices. It says the mountains and the hills burst into song says the, 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 the trees of the field clap their hands. The creation can't help itself because God is the creator and it rejoices. And so we serve the Lord or worship Him with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs even when we don't feel like it. And we will. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. What I find interesting in these first few verses, how often does it say I and me and we? It doesn't ever. It says He and Him. He is the one. We are His. He is the Creator. He is the Giver. He is the one that is to be praised and thanked. To know Him Verse 3 says, know that the Lord, He is God. To know Him is different than just knowing about Him. We all know people. We know about them. We read things about them. We hear about them. But we don't know them in, on a personal level. To know Him means to desire to be near to Him. To grow in our understanding of Him. How He thinks. How He acts what He asks of us, what He does. To know His desires. And it is an ongoing, growing friendship. We talk about a relationship. You can have a relationship with someone and not necessarily it being a friend, a friendship. He wants us to be His friend, meaning we want to be near Him. We want to know Him in that way. Then in verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You, we get the picture of entering into the gate. So we're, you're out in the, out in the field outside and we go in through the gates. We're invited. We're called to go into the gates. And then he says, and into his courts with praise. So we're going, we're being led into the inner sanctuary where only those that are invited can go. And when we know Him on that level, that relationship, that friendship, we can enter thankfully and joyfully and not out of fear of 
retribution? Is he going to punish me for something? Hebrews says that we can enter boldly, not brashly, but boldly, with confidence. And then how is this possible? Verse 5, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. What does it mean that the Lord is good? Often we tell our children when they're going out, you know, be good. What do we mean by that? Behave. Well, what? behave how? We just assume they know. And if they know us, they know what we mean. But what does it mean that the Lord is good? The Hebrew word good means pleasant, pleasing, pleasurable, completely trustworthy, and consistent. Being good means that because He is is all of those things, He is unchanging and consistent, He is dependable. He doesn't require something one day and the next something completely different. It's very difficult to be thankful for something that you're not sure of. To be thankful to a person you're not sure of the reaction that you will receive. I remember years and years ago, working in Columbus, working on a big building project, and there was a young man who was working for us. He was a very timid young man. Didn't say a whole lot. But it was a hot day and the, and the food truck came by, and so he went out and he bought a, a Mountain Dew for everybody on the crew. I think there was seven of us. So as he handed those out, one of the men, an older gentleman, he took it and he said, I don't like Mountain Dew. And you could just see that young man just kind of melt. He, he received a reaction that he had, he, he did not expect. God is not like that because he is dependable. We know that when we do something, even however small, he will respond thankfully to us. Life throws us curveballs. God does not. Now, some of you know that Jim was a, was a starting catcher for the New York Yankees. Is that right, Jim? No. Okay. So he was a catcher for another, some baseball team in Columbus. But, um, anyway, not every pitch that came to you as a catcher was where it should have been, right? But how did you know what to expect? Jim was the one who called the pitch, right? You see a catcher, you know, they do this, you know, as they're squatting down, they do this. I think that means just get it into this general area. I don't know what that means. But but the, he and the pitcher had a relationship that he could give a signal to the pitcher so Jim knew what was generally expected. They didn't always come where they should have. But he knew that ahead of time. So he told the pitcher what pitch to throw. So Jim knew if he could expect a curveball, a slider, a fastball. Are there others? Probably. There's others. I'm not a baseball player. Why didn't you just let the pitcher decide what to throw? You don't want to be surprised because you want consistency. You don't want, you know, the pitcher decides, well, I'm just going to throw a curveball and Jim's not ready for it. Life throws us curveballs. God does not. So picture yourself as a batter. 
Now for us, you know, the batter is on one team, the pitcher and the catcher, they're against you. So they're trying to do everything they can so that you can't make a base hit. You can't do what you want to do. But just picture yourself as the batter and the pitcher's on your side and the catcher's on your side. That's how God is. So when when the pitcher throws the ball and he's on your side, he's going to throw you a pitch that he believes that you can hit. That's how God is. He doesn't send us things that he doesn't think that we're unable to accomplish. He's just the opposite. He is always good. His love endures how long? Forever. It does not change. He is in complete control of every situation that comes our way, no matter if it's enjoyable, or if it's trying, or if it's wonderful, or if it's horrific. He is there with us. Thankfulness binds us to Him in our acknowledgement that we trust Him. When we thank Him, it shows that we trust Him. And the opposite is also true. When we are unthankful, it shows that we really don't trust Him. The problem is, our circumstances play such a heavy part in life, don't they? I mean, if you're an auto mechanic, there's one right there, and Jim tried to be this week. I try it occasionally. And it, the bolts always come out, right? They never break off, right? No, they seem like they always break off, right? It's okay. We can still be thankful, I guess. It's, it's hard, but that's the way circumstances in life, that's what it does to us. It makes it difficult. It's much easier to be thankful when everything is going well. But that's not a true test of thankfulness. The only way to know if we are truly thankful is when seemingly there's nothing to be thankful for. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. And I know we've been moving at glacial speed, as John uh, Jim mentioned the other week. We'll get through it eventually. But in Ephesians 5.20, Paul makes this very clear. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always and in everything. Paul also told the Thessalonian church with all their trials and tribulations that they were going through. He said, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So let's go back to the pilgrims. They were so thankful for that first year's harvest. They were ready for the coming winter. They had enough. They didn't have an overabundance. They had just enough. They calculated how much corn it would take for each person until the next harvest. So think about living that way. You just had a harvest and you gathered, were able to gather just enough so that you could survive until the next harvest came in. And so they celebrated. They invited the Indians. Some of them came and they had a big a feast. They had a Thanksgiving feast. But then a few days later, they noticed there was a ship out off the coast and it was coming into the harbor. They weren't sure, is this friend or foe? 
So when it was determined this is a friendly ship, actually the ship's name was Fortune. And it would seem if from circumstances, you know, it was a bad fortune. But what it was on that ship was additional members to the colony. They needed those people. Many of them were family members. Let me read from this book. This book was published in 1857. It's the, uh, the Chief of the Pilgrim's Life and Times of William Brewster. Often are favors and mercies the occasions of additional trials. Joyful and welcome as was the reception at this time of dear friends and connections, those who came off this ship. Greatly as it added to the strength of the colony, it was soon apparent that a great scarcity of food must follow. With no knowledge or expectation of the arrival, this season of additional consumers, no provision had been made for additional supplies, especially for a number nearly equal their own. On board the fortune, no provisions had been made even for her own return. For the ship to go back to England, they didn't have enough stuff for the crew to even have enough to eat to get back. Much less for the wants of those whom she had brought. So they had just celebrated Thanksgiving, and they had enough. They were very thankful. And then within a few days, they realized there's not going to be enough. Not even close. So if you are truly thankful, how do you respond? How did they respond in that adversity? It's interesting, they provided for the ship's crew. They gave them plenty of food that they could make it back to England. But they needed that for themselves. So let me read a little bit more. They soon dispatched the ship homeward. However laden with the avails of their hard earnings and self-denying efforts. As the best returns in their power to the merchant adventures, so on, I'm, I'm in the wrong place. The ship being dispatched and their stores of provisions examined, the supply for all until the next summer's harvest of corn, eight months distance, was found to be only for six months on half allowance. And upon this, they were now placed, all taking it patiently. So all of a sudden, they had half the provisions that they needed, and it wasn't going to be enough. But they accepted that patiently. And then on top of that, soon after that, they heard, got word that a neighboring Indian nation was gathering a force of 5,000 warriors to come and destroy them. They were running out of food, and now they were facing annihilation. But as we know, God was faithful to them. And they survived, and we're here. Faith is not faith 
unless it is tested. And neither is thankfulness. But as we read in Scripture how important thankfulness is to God, why is it important to Him? Why can't we just do what He asks, whether we're thankful or not? And that's enough. And the reason is, I think, because it's not only beneficial to Him, it pleases Him, but it's beneficial to us. There are many studies and a lot of research has been done on what is called gratitude or thankfulness. One researcher said, gratitude encompasses the willingness to expand our attention so that we perceive more of the goodness we are always receiving. Meaning that gratitude is, thankfulness is our willingness to look outside of ourselves for the good that we are receiving. How many of you remember the statement, you didn't build that? Okay, a few of you do. Now, I can't say for sure the motive behind that statement. But it really is true. If we stop and think about it. Yes, we may take all the pieces we need to build something to make something and put them together, but it took many other people to make those varied pieces that we can put together in the final assembly. So it really does take a village, doesn't it? Thankfulness is to be a way of life, not a temporary state of mind. Unthankful people really are a basket of deplorables. Okay, those are three quotes, and I'll leave the quotes there. We won't talk about baking cookies or anything like that. Thankfulness causes us to look outside of ourselves. God warned the Israelites through Moses, be careful that you don't forget me and then come to the place, I have done this with my own hands. No, you didn't. God gave us the breath. He gave us the ability. He is the one that deserves the thanks. It's interesting, there's actually an area of counseling called gratitude intervention. And one exercise in that gratitude intervention, it's where a person is to write a letter of gratitude once a week for several weeks. And what they found is when people do that, that the practice magnifies positive feelings more than it does reducing negative ones. Do you understand that? So the more you are grateful, we think more about the... Po- it gives us a positive outlook and we don't think so much about the negative. The negative are still there. Gratitude helps us to see the bigger picture and become more resilient in the face of adversity. And gratitude is not just a mental benefit, but it is physical as well. I find this interesting. It says they found that grateful people have fewer health complaints, such as headaches, digestive issues, respiratory infections, runny noses, dizziness, and sleep problems. David, I want you to prescribe me a thank you pill. Okay, you got one? Maybe get me a 90-day supply. This is a quote. In general, people are more cognitively, cognitively aware 
of their headwinds, meaning the barriers that we face. We're more aware of the things that are ahead that we're facing than the tailwinds, the benefits that we have received in the past. By paying attention to our tailwinds, the things that we have to be thankful for that have happened in the past, studies have shown that we can accentuate feelings of happiness, optimism, and positive emotions. Remember, God said. Remember what He has done for us. It's interesting. Modern science is just catching up. Giving thanks is more than the power of positive thinking. It's knowing who to thank. Our culture is driven by unthankfulness, ingratitude. We see it everywhere. Jim spoke last week about FOMO, fear of missing out. It is essentially driven by unthankfulness, which is essentially covetousness. They have it, I don't, and that's not fair, and they need to pay for it. Paul warns in several letters that in the last days, one of the traits will be the growing trend of unthankfulness. It's so easy to fall into that trap. But we are called to shine like stars in the night sky. We are to be beacons of thankfulness in a world that is unthankful. This morning I'm going to close with a quote. As we express our thanks to God and to each other for what we have received, all of those blessings, I just found this to be a powerful declaration. The declaration of thanksgiving is that God has won, Jesus is alive, death has been defeated, Satan has been rendered powerless, and eternal life is ours through Jesus. Can we shout amen? Amen! Amen. That's right. Let's all stand. And turn in your hymnals to number 34. This is a reminder to be thankful. Marvin, would you lead that, please? Let's sing all three verses. And David says, Amen. Thank you.